When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sup Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Caitlin, it is just you and me today. Today we are talking about mask mandates and some trouble at Harvard University, which we're hearing more and more about troubles at Harvard <laughs> University. <laughs> it's everyone's talking about it right now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, okay, we are starting with the big news of the day. The governors of New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Delaware, California, and Oregon – So fuck ton of states, have announced plans to lift indoor mask mandates this week. This comes as the country appears to be making some progress following Omicron's peak, but a lot of health experts and the CDC are worried that easing restrictions might compromise progress, and I think they have some data to support that. At this point, it is not really clear to the public why it is being lifted, but some of their criteria that they claim they look at are vaccination rates, um, evidence that Omicron leads to less hospitalization and death than, than past variants. And one expert told the New York Times that keeping mask mandates in place longer than the necessary risks undermines the public's trust in public health policy. Uh, how are you? How are you feeling about? about this whole issue? <laughs> um, I mean, it's kind of weird that they're like, well, it's about maintaining public trust, which is, to me, insane. Um, right, I, right. That's been compromised long ago. That, that was, like, long compromised. Um, and it's just, it, it's, it's so bizarre because it's like, you know, you should be lifting them based off of, like, health data, like actual important things, like is it still spreading and killing people and not, oh, the public is really going to be upset. So if you keep it longer than you have to, like longer than we have to, how do we know how long we have to? Who made this decision? Right. You know, they there is less hospitalization than with past variants, but they're basing this on the fact that children can now increasingly vac be vaccinated and boosted and that hospitalizations are decreasing in the Northeast. But at the end of the day, like we've done this a few times at this point and masking, I feel like is one of the less invasive ways of protect protecting people, like at least indoors in like stores or 
I don't really understand how like sitting down in a restaurant, you know, when you don't have a mask on is necessarily protective. But like, let's say you're, you know, in certain places in an airport, like, I just don't really understand why you wouldn't want to keep this very small precaution in place for like another like two or three months. Yeah, uh, it's it's extremely weird that we're kind of like, oh, let's roll it all back. Well, first of all, while it's decreasing, we're still losing like oh, a thousand people. A day. Like this is a, still a very high death rate. And it's kind of bizarre to kind of have people be like, oh, OK, we can stop all mitigation efforts because that's all masking is. It's just a mitigation effort. It's not by itself going to stop. Uh, the, the spread of the virus, but also, I mean, you want if if something is important, like a mitigation effort, like masking, you don't want people to give up the habit before they need to start doing it again. That's what actually breaks trust is when you say, "Oh, it's all safe now," and then it is not safe, and we have a new variant, and then they're like, "Oh, you should go back to doing this." It's like if we it's never stopped we wouldn't have to try to convince people to do it again. Right, right. It's also like, I think the public trust just has already sort of been widely undermined, even by people who generally are more trusting of CDC, of the CDC and want to believe in public health policy. When you lose those people because you keep backtracking and going back and forth, I don't really get how you, I don't really understand how you're supposed to get that back that get that trust back at this point like the the thing that's breaking my trust is the cavalier attitude that our government has towards actually protecting its citizens right <laughs> which yeah. uh, which feels like it's all being done for even under trump it was like very obvious that it was political and that everything about this was like this fake it till you make it uh posture was really about just pretending that it wasn't killing people and while letting it kill the most vulnerable people in society who they, you know, were hoping to get rid of anyway in their lovely white supremacist eugenics mindset. But then you get Biden and you're kind of like, wow, things are going to get better now. And instead it's like, oh, we got to save the economy first. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? What is the economy for if not to help people, if not to sustain us as a society? And we get all of these kind of contradictory, like, oh, we want a political win because people are unhappy with the, the virus. It's like the virus doesn't, I need to be clear, coronavirus, COVID is not a, a conscious thing. It is not something you can negotiate with. It's going to act like a virus. So no matter what you do, you can be like, well, we people are just sick of it. And uh, COVID don't care. COVID don't care that you're sick of it. It's still going to run around like a virus and infect new people and kill people. And then you're going to be like, well, I'm just tired of it. This isn't like, you know, an ice cream flavor. <laughs> right. They're also seeming to ignore um, the fact that every time they do this, this is where like the new variant gets to breed. Or even it's not only about America. New variants can come from anywhere in the fucking world and they will get here in like a minute and people are lucky that omicron is is less severe like that's a matter of luck that it mutated that way it could have mutated worse and then you have all these people who are like fuck masks i'm fine and then surprise you're not <laughs> and then when you think about it like the the next variant we don't know what it's what attributes it's going to have but 
we should not let it run rampant through a vaccinated population. I cannot express how insanely, ridiculously stupid that is. Like, it is just beyond any kind of logic or reason because it's the virus, again, cannot be negotiated with. It is just going to do what it wants to do. And what it wants to do is replicate itself. And mm-hmm. every time it runs into a system that has blocked it, it's going to look for a way through, which is why, you know, people were talking about breakthrough cases and how big of a deal it was and how the, the you know, vaccine doesn't work. Of course it works. It's like wearing a flak jacket. It's not going right. to stop you if a piece of shrapnel comes at your face, but it's going to do a pretty good job of keeping the major organs safe. So you should probably wear one if you're going to be in a dangerous area. Same thing. With, that's what the vaccine is. It's just an extra layer of protection. It can't cover everything, but it's really ridiculous for you to let someone inspect all of the gaps in the flak jacket and figure out how to get around it and then be like, yeah, OK, now we're good. Now we're just going to continue doing this. Also, the um, particular timing of this. Why would you do this in the dead of winter? When people basically need to be indoors, there's not really an option for outdoor, you know, as a regular thing that you can lean on, you know, to be doing things outside, to be eating outside. It just doesn't really, like the timing doesn't make sense. Also, babies, kids, they're not vaccinated and they're all going to school, a breeding ground for viruses, for obvious reasons. And it's not just about the children. Like there are teachers, there are adults who work in the schools who maybe, maybe they have an immunocompromised family member who genuinely cannot like fuck with this. You know, it's it's not something that everyone in the world can just kind of like get and get over and like, oh, let's hope that, you know, it doesn't end up that bad. Like I uh, that that's what's so frustrating. There's not really any acknowledgement of the fact that actually you are putting by in the in the quest to make everyone feel that their life is so convenient and they don't have to wear a mask you are essentially saying to those people who are immunocompromised or who are 6 months old you know that we don't really care um if you're okay or the people in your family are okay and it just doesn't really make any sense why they would do this when when deaths are still you know as high as they are yeah and and again like we're not even talking about the excess deaths from covid so if you are immune compromised if you have a disability that would make you more vulnerable if you have a comorbidity which by the way if you stretch comorbidity to include everything that could possibly interact poorly with COVID, you're you're talking about like a third of the population. Like it's a crazy high like element of the population who would would be affected by this. And if you if you consider all of that, then you're talking about millions of people who can't who can't like in participate in society anymore. And there's just no regard whatsoever for their well-being or livelihood or or how we're going to make this possible. And you are looking at not only the reality that you are more vulnerable to COVID, but that our healthcare system is so overwhelmed still by people who are dying of COVID that you are not going to be able to get treatment 
for things that you actually need. The number of cancer screenings, the number of of chemotherapy treatments, like people who are undergoing chemo cannot get vaccinated. I just, we just unleashed, uh, we just talked about, unveiled another cancer moonshot, but we're in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic that the government is basically like, oh yeah, we're gonna try to fix cancer. Hey bitch, let's try to keep, keep people from dying right now of this very preventable disease that is spreading through the population that makes cancer treatment impossible. So uh, how are we even supposed to, if you're just, you know, cut your hand on a steak knife, you're in danger now. And, right. and we're worried and, and we're, we're basically letting it continue to run through society because yeah, the positivity rates have gone down. No more masking, no more vaccination um, requirements for indoor businesses. It's just, it's no good. Right. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Let's talk about some of the specifics. New York indoor mask mandate is dropped today. Governor Kathy Hochul announced that. Um, she says she's optimistic about the way things are going, but she will still wait and see when it comes to dropping the New York mask mandate for people in schools. So that is up for renewal in two weeks, and we'll see how that fares. We'll obviously update you. But strategically, let's talk about how these governors of all these states 
kind of arrived here. Um, apparently, they were communicating via back channels over this past week to coordinate their announcements so that they could, you know, kind of do like a strength in numbers thing. Um, the whole effort was spearheaded by New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, Murphy, who nearly lost his reelection last, last November. And you could, it seems to suggest that in focus groups, his his near loss was driven by the fact that voters were frustrated over public health measures. They felt a sense of pessimism about the future and they want things to return to normal. Um, and these governors ultimately met with Biden at the White House so he could advise them on messaging. But ultimately, none of this resulted in formal guidelines or really any formal messaging. And then New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy moved forward with this and then other governors ended up following suit pretty quickly. And that's why this has been developing over the past two days. And I just can't help but feel that not only is this based on like such an emotionally based short-term decision, and look, they may end, end up lucking out. Maybe Omicron will become endemic and it's fine. There Maybe there won't be another variant. But also, you are literally just screwing yourself longer term because not only is, is the decision questionable, but they did not communicate this properly. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's kind of like, <clears throat> it's interesting that the White House grabbed everybody and was like, let's talk about how to message. But the easiest way of managing this and rolling it out would have been to say, once positivity rates in your state are below X number, then you can relax mandates. This gives certainty to an uncertain time. Then when it goes back over, it's reinstated. So nobody's confused anymore. People don't get upset because they were told ahead of time, actually, we did this based off of this. And that's about how rapidly 5%, let's say, of this of uh, a 5% positivity rate will escalate over time. We've mapped this multiple times now, and this is the point at which if we let things continue the way that they are without mitigation efforts, we're going to look at a big mountain of deaths. Wow, isn't that so smart? Like We, if we don't know what the next variant is going to be like, who it's going to target, whether or not we're going to need to get boosted again sooner. That's another thing that just hasn't been thought of at all, whether or not testing will need to be coordinated better. I mean, all of this stuff, it's just like they just want to put it in a, a memory capsule and just be like, okay, it's all done now. And yeah. I'm like, we're memory literally capsules. still here. <laughs> memory capsule sponsored by Abbott. That would be what they, <laughs> they want to do. <laughs> but so what, yeah, that is a great point. I think that even had it been communicated when Biden entered office, let's say, this rate is the positivity rate above and below there will or won't be mask mandates in a certain area, like regionally and or, you know, statewide, whatever it is. At least at that point, people could understand like there's a safe level and an unsafe level. And even, and even if they were like, they noticed some changing factors. They could, in theory, be like, we're changing the positivity level at which masking is necessary. They could say, actually, this variant is less severe, so we will raise that level. Whatever, it, it really comes down to just how short, they literally communicate in a way that only makes sense for like the week that they're in at any given point. And it's just, it's just 
the whole thing is so piecemeal. Even if you even think about the mask mandates themselves or the testing, like it's all very scattershod, I guess Mm -hmm. would be the word. Like sometimes you go into an establishment and they'll ask you to put your mask on. Sometimes they won't. Like, why can't we just continue to operate with the mandates in place? And, you know, the the enforcement isn't amazing anyway. So why don't just keep it in place for the people who will? Until we know we're clear. Like you should wait until like, I I don't know, not just positivity rates are decreasing, but like deaths are really decreasing, not just in your state, but regionally, especially when you come down to like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. This Mm -hmm. is a a basically a three state ecosystem that is going to have tons of crossover. Mm -hmm. I can't ignore a super high positivity rate in New Jersey. Just be like, guess that's their problem on the other side of the Hudson because there's so many people who come to New York. And especially as New York is interested in saying things like we're open for business and all this other stuff, like you're drawing people from all over the country. And I can't stop thinking about that hostess who was literally assaulted and hospitalized by Texans who wanted to come dine in New York, but didn't want to show vaccination. And like lowering that is not going to help people saying like, okay, well, we'll get rid of the rule. People are reacting badly to the rule. So we'll get rid of the rule is is not is not the answer there (laughs) right also you're open for business with masks also like like i haven't i've been wearing a mask obviously the whole time i'm still going to continue wearing them even today but i've been just most mostly going about my life you know you no one there's nothing that's closed other than the places that went out for business but what went out of business during the pandemic but that's a separate issue nothing is unavailable to you if you're willing to do it i mean i find myself like gauging whether or not i want to go out to dinner based off of oh how high is the positivity rate if the positivity rate like i think in new york right now it's around like three around four percent so that means like one in every 25 people is Mm -hmm. showing up with i mean like if you're getting on the train i'm putting on a mask because that's that's of course, like an for the rest of my life, of people. At this but point. like, if you're out to dinner, you can be like, okay, so what's the chance? It's like four percent. All right, if I stay local, if I test afterwards, if I, you know, like, I, instead of like, oh, I'm going to go out to a big event. Going out, right. the, the bigger the event, the more I become res- restrictive. The smaller it is, the less likely I am to worry because the chances have are they drop. But like, right. I'm doing that math. Which is unfair because why can't the government do that math for me? Don't they ha- have people who are very good at math, which I am not, and, and to do this? <laughs> I mean, they don't. The thing is that the big events are like what comprises the economy. Like, if you can't have Coachella, you know, th- that all puts sort of a damper on everything, basically. I mean, I know. I'd like to, I would like to, to believe that, but I think about how many small businesses really died during this pandemic. And if we wanted to care about small businesses and if we wanted to like really think about how to live with variants and, and new developments and protect people instead of worrying about poll numbers and focus groups, perhaps we should focus on things like, 
I don't know, making sure that there's something that's widely understood and and talking about risk mitigation instead of like, oh, okay, well, we can just go back to the way things were before COVID. Like that is not a, a mitigation strategy. That is just false hope. And when you take it away from people, when let's say the next variant can seriously infect children, watch that happen and watch how quickly they are going to get their poll numbers destroyed because they didn't think ahead about like, oh, actually, this might be a bad idea. Yeah, it's all very short term. And it's the back and forth and the lack of clear reasoning for anything. I think it has the effect of further undermining like the belief that Americans have in science at all. And you make people essentially primed to be caught up in disinformation because they are like, well, this doesn't really, they, you know, CDC doesn't really know what they're talking about or they're like driven by other motives. So why wouldn't I, you know, entertain these other gateways to anti-science? Exactly. They're just sowing their own. It's like you're you watching them, you know, it's like it's literally yeah. that tweet, me sowing. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Me reaping. <laughs> yeah. Me reaping. What the fuck? Like, I'm over here being like, exactly. watching them do it and being like, oh, my God, this is so dumb. <laughs> like, totally. I'm just looking at it and being like, you're going to hate what, what the, the reaping on this is going to be. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll get lucky. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. 
Speaking of sowing and reaping, the elite Ivy League institution, Harvard University, is received a uh, lawsuit from three female graduate students uh, accusing the university of ignoring allegations that an anthropology professor harassed students for years. They also said he tried to intimidate students by threatening their academic careers if they reported him. One specific allegation involves the professor, John Komarov, telling a student that if she were in parts of the world, she'd be subjected to corrective rape for being in a lesbian relationship. He claims that the advice was, it was advice about staying safe while traveling with her same-sex partner in a country that criminalizes same-sex relationships. All right, like anyone believes that, but okay. But it gets more serious. The student said that he also kissed her on the lips a year earlier when meeting with her about college choices and grabbed her thigh on campus. Two other women in the lawsuit say they were retaliated against for raising concerns about Komarov's behavior. They felt that Komarov's closeness with most of Harvard's faculty, who he brought to his side, closed off mentorship opportunities for them. And they also say that he made remarks about their physical appearance. In the days leading up to the lawsuit, more than 90 academics at Harvard and other universities globally signed open letters defending Komarov because why not? (laughs) And then a bunch of Harvard professors, about 50, wrote a letter criticizing them for only believing Komarov's narrative, the only decent people in this right now. Mm -hmm. Harvard's Harvard's Dean of Faculty Arts and Sciences also warned Dr. Komarov's supporters to stand down and let the process pay out. But as of the release of a lot of these details to the press and the actual reading of the lawsuit, uh, a bunch of people sent a letter... Saying, sent letters saying that they want to be removed from the original letter supporting Komarov, like they don't understand how lawsuits work or how details work, or they just thought that they should get a clean slate for some reason. And yet they're on and the that's Harvard faculty. <laughs> yeah, a whole bunch of Harvard faculty, like, please remove me from this narrative that I inserted myself into. <laughs> right, like, you didn't need to sign this letter. <laughs> if I were a law professor, I would say that the totality of the circumstances here suggests that this guy has potentially abused his power and acted inappropriately, like many of the men who we have witnessed in the past few years being exposed for this type of thing. And it doesn't really surprise me that this happens at Harvard at all, which, if I remember correctly, also had a lawsuit like maybe two weeks ago regarding how they uh, let in legacies (laughs) How they basically have, like, affirmative action for legacies. So, yeah. There's this, like, lie about liberal academia that is so obviously uh, exposed every time there's a scandal inside one of these ivory tower institutions. And it's, I mean, they're, they're power structures designed to support exactly who you'd expect them to support. I mean... This guy spent time, there's a certain amount of entitlement that comes with saying like, oh, I teach at Harvard and this sense of like the world belongs to you, students belong to you. That's a, I mean, we've been through this. Me too. What, how we are five, six years. Oh my gosh. Time is just an illusion. Um, I know. (laughs) We are honestly like 
approaching six years into into the entire concept of Me Too and talking about this publicly in this broader systemic way and absolutely zero percent has changed because you see the first thing that the colleagues went to go do before they learned any fucking details was to say oh this guy like i know him and he's great bitch have you not been paying attention what in the and now they're like oh my my bad i was too quick to talk it is kind of astounding from basically like a pragmatic logic standpoint just being an experienced person in the world that if you're one of these harvard faculty members that you would without really looking into it too much put your name behind an old white guy who you don't have like full insight into him and what he's done like just because he was nice to you why would you put your name on that that makes me question the intelligence of these people to be honest with you it makes me think that they have some shady ass shit that they would want people to come to their defense for. Because I know as a person who has not done shady ass shit that I do not need any, I wouldn't, it wouldn't, I would never step out on that limb for anybody. You know, right. no, I would have a moment with my own family. I'd be like, mm, but I do know them. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's like, why would they why would they put their own like let's say this guy is really like found guilty whatever fired maybe there's really hard evidence why would they put their own reputation at risk uh, for that i really don't understand it and even more disturbing some of the details from this have been that uh harvard somehow managed to get third party like not even mandatory reporting um therapist notes given to them i was like what the f- to defend camera like i was like okay this is a rotten core institution like this is a serious problem do they not realize that those therapy notes were probably not good like for them yeah no i mean that's i mean <laughs> part of it too is to like make th- this is a standard playbook that we've seen at this point they're crazy they don't know what they're saying they're emotionally compromised. And so you kind of project that onto the people who have been victimized, which is why the suit is naming Harvard and not naming Komarov specifically. They're suing him too, but I think, but like Harvard is, is being attacked is basically receiving this lawsuit for how poorly they've treated their graduate students and the ways in which they've left them vulnerable and even accommodated this kind of treatment. And it's like, y'all, we've been through this so many times to run out there and then be like, no, 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 not this time. (laughs) Right. Ooh. It really doesn't surprise me much that an institution which reveres Alan Dershowitz at the level that they revere him, that could have been a red flag for everyone. This guy who like rationalizes consensual sex with 15-year-olds. It really just shows they're out of touchness. And I think that maybe this might sound a little bit blasphemous because I know in America our our theme is like innocent till proven guilty. And that is obviously a very critical concept if it were, let's say, equally applied across races, genders, everything. Um, That would be nice. I also think that that principle was put into place 
at a time before there was such wide social media, before everyone had access to everyone. If there was a crime, it was in your like small town that no one else would hear about. In this day and age, for women to come forward, especially black women or anyone who is in a marginalized group, any intersection of that, for those people to come forward and make an accusation is so much more of a big deal than it used to be, where it's just like you are one person who is, who's, you know, coming forward and saying something or whatever. The cost of coming forward at this point in history is has never been higher because the entire world can access you and and opine on you and talk about you and you will be a news cycle for days if not weeks sometimes there is n- there, the incentive to accuse someone falsely of someone of something has vastly decreased and i'm not saying we should get rid of like innocent till proven guilty but i do think that that should be taken into account absolutely i mean my first instinct whenever something like this comes up is to actually step back and be like okay let's let's act like this is true what does this look like what does it look like to to create this environment another thing is is like there's just to me an obvious balance in favor of believing victims uh, and believing survivors because we know that this is endemic. We know, if we want to get endemic, we know that sexual violence and predation is super normalized in our society. I mean, I've been binging uh, an extremely dorky show from like the early 2000s. It is amazing is it? how di- it's Smallville. I'm, oh. <laughs> such a, I'm such a weird fan. Um, but I... You, you go back and you're watching stuff from like 2003 and you're like, what? this is just a totally different world and what they're willing to joke about and what they're willing to like normalize. And you're like, damn, like this is what 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 people thought was like funny or like acceptable just like two decades, not even two decades ago. So we have made a huge range of progress. But like, yeah, of course, it's sitting underneath everything that we are right now. And to go quickly towards, oh, oh, no, this person must be innocent. Like, you would not catch me doing that for anybody. Anybody. (laughs) Because it's so, so entrenched in our society. Right. Where it's like, you look at someone like this longtime Harvard professor, and what are the chances that this person has a lot of exposure to perspectives that are different? Like, yes, he's at Harvard and he meets his students, but the breakdown of the faculty is not, you know, is, is still largely white. And, and regardless of even the breakdown, the power structure around this particular person seems to have been unique um, in a way that would, you know, serve his interests and also probably entrench this behavior in a way that he does not have any outlet. And this is not, you know, excusing him, but he does not have anywhere to, I mean, he could go on Twitter, but, you know, anywhere in his immediate life to understand the experience of a different person and, and how he, he overlays onto that, you know, like no consciousness of like, I'm actually like an old white dude. These are the people who are fucking up and maybe I should 
reevaluate my behavior. Yeah. Or the idea of white dudes anywhere of any age deciding like, wait, maybe we should listen to other people and inform our perspectives through different understandings of the world. Wow. We just clear out like 90% of American punditry journalism <laughs> we, we could go yeah. down the list of like oh if you had to actually seriously consider perspectives that were outside of your own would you be able to keep your job that would that would more right. or less wipe out wipe out white men in almost every sector of this economy totally i mean it is very for i mean the peloton guy uh i just keep returning to this this feeling is that like if i were a man and I were the exact same, I would be so rich because, because these fucking idiots are able to somehow be in control and they're given so much money to work with. And this guy, this is a guy who said publicly as the CEO that he did not speak to the CTO of Peloton, a tech company, for months. How do you, how is that acceptable? How did you even get this job? How did, were you even considered for this job? And on it, like when I watch cable news and I hear sort of, you know, I don't want to say every, you know, white man on cable news is, is worthless and has bad opinions. That is not true. But a lot of times I will be listening to people make commentary and they'll be invited back dozens of times. And I'll literally (laughs) be thinking like there are so many people who could be better at this job. And I think about it, I I think about it like I'm like, I would be better at this job. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm also just a white woman. Caitlin has way more knowledge than me and we better at this job. And (laughs) I I swear I when I watch cable news, I'm like, Caitlin would be so would bring more to this conversation. And like you're just a person I know. But think about all the other people out there. It's it's incredible to me how often we just are so quick to dismiss the behavior and the transgressions and most of all the mistakes like they just didn't even happen if you're a white dude who makes mistakes like they're just they just don't they come with no consequences and that's what i think is the the issue with the the harvard spaces just you know this is an institution that was built on the impunity of elite white masculinity they have never been accountable to anyone and they are not interested in cultivating an environment that actually produces the best because there's no way the best is that white and that male. Sorry. We've lived right. it. We know that that's not true. <laughs> right. It's also interesting. It's like the best by their own standards are them. <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Like, did you, yeah. It's like when you, it's like we've investigated ourselves for wrongdoing and we found that we did nothing wrong. Right. right, right. Exactly. And also, I mean, I hate to make this bring it back. Again, it comes down to money. They don't really have to evaluate themselves because they have billions of dollars to pay for, to fix any, to sweep any little mistakes away without having to do a full overhaul, even though they could afford a full overhaul. That's why there's this lawsuit. And I, I hope that the Women who have come forward are protected and insulated and supported. Um, I think that it's important to talk about about this kind of behavior and to, but most of all, I like that they're taking a shot at the institution and not just an individual because ultimately the individual behavior is terrible. It is unspeakable. I mean, even talking about corrective... uh, 
I mean, there are there are ways to communicate that point without Ooh. saying like you would be subjected. If like, that's not advice any straight white yeah. man needs to be giving to a queer person, it's just not necessary. I assure you, right? They know the risk, <laughs> like right. It's also it's- not. It's like not even in an educational context. Like it feels very personal. It's but yeah, just, it's just. I agree I'm- with you. The shot at the institution is is important because most people act generally within to some de- to some extent within the norms of what their organization or immediate environment will accept that's just human nature to conform to some degree so the fact that he felt comfortable conforming in such a way is arguably the responsibility i don't know about under the legal system but in con- conceptually the responsibility of the place where he has worked and where 90 of his colleagues were willing to sign a letter without examining the evidence attesting to his innocence. Yeah. And and the comfort is the problem. It it always gets me when, you know, it, we don't talk about systems. And I think that's easier to do. I mean, Black History Month, uh, Me Too. These are systemic problems. These are reflections of the ways that we've set up the world to allow individuals to do what they want without any consequence. And in in order to change things and to hold people accountable, you have to dismantle their comfort in abusing other people. And yeah, that's, that's, that hopefully this will, will help even, even if for some reason these allegations are overblown or exaggerated the idea that there is a man at Harvard who is using his position at Harvard to exploit and further marginalize already marginalized people is not a weird or insane thing to believe. And we should not start from that doubt. We should start from the, hey, what was this institution really designed to do? Because Harvard is like, I don't know, what, 300 plus years old? Mm, it's not old. it was not designed okay to care about women that didn't even happen till last century okay it's right. it's it's two times older than the actual time that it was like oh women maybe people honestly <laughs> can i t- can i tell you like when i this is just an anecdote <laughs> personally my father for various psychological reasons was obsessed with me getting into an ivy league school when i was a baby. Like he literally bought a fucking Barron's college book when I was two. Just like insane. So, and I, that book had Harvard and Radcliffe as separate schools. And I remember him being like, this is Harvard for girls. And I'm thinking, and, and that was when I was three. So 30 years ago in a book, those two things, those two institutions were separated. So just thinking in terms of, you know, how recent that distinction actually is. That, that is, to me, the essence of this entire discussion. You know, systems yeah. are built for abusers right now. Yes. We need to build them for, for people who exist outside the power structure. Yeah, no more FABA. For abusers, by abusers. <laughs> All right, well, that is our show. <laughs> Until the end of democracy, I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. 
And this has been the Betcha Sub Podcast. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.